the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2 of our daily three-hour tour. It is a privilege to welcome back dear friend Heather MacDonald, the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute, contributing editor at City Journal, and, of course, New York Times bestselling author. Heather, Happy New Year to you. Thanks for joining us. Seth, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me on. You bet. Thank you for your scholarship, though, and thank you for your bravery in your scholarship. I was recalling that when Churchill and Roosevelt were talking about what to name World War II before it was known as World War II, Churchill said uh, we should have called it or we should have called it the Unnecessary War because if people had only listened to us, we wouldn't be where we are. I'm thinking about that as I read David Leonard in the New York Times today, waking up the country to a mental health crisis of children. I'm thinking if they had read you in March of last year and everything you've written since, we wouldn't have the headlines today. We wouldn't have the U.S. Surgeon General this year finally proclaiming a national state of emergency with children's mental health or the American Academy of Pediatricians saying the same thing. All of these confessions are un, were avoidable, they were preventable, they were unnecessary. But when people were writing and warning about them, people led by you, Heather, you were censored and you were censured. There should be some accountability here. It won't come. But I just wanted to tell you, you're owed some. Well, I'm grateful to have a reader with a memory. That's uh, very rare, and <laughs> I'm not going to say I told you so. I'm glad that you'll say it for me, but it's <laughs> absolutely true. I was hardly the only person, although I do think I was the first one out of the gate. You were, compared to what, March 13th, right. 2020? Right, and and I was criticized not just by the left, but also by our fellow conservatives. Uh, Yoram Hazani tweeted that I wanted to kill Grandma the fact of the matter is, though, Seth, that we knew everything about COVID by March 2020. And since then, uh, we've simply been reiterating sotto voce the facts, which is that the average age of the decedents is about, of people who died from COVID is about 79 to 80. They average about three comorbidities. The death rate, you know, is just magnitude thousand times higher for people in the upper, upper age brackets that are already on well on their way to death compared to the rest of the population. We knew everything about no outdoor transmission, the necessity of having intense viral dose, and yet what we saw was a country that seemed absolutely eager to embrace fear, to embrace control, uh, not surprisingly the government, uh, seized the opportunity to control the population. The founders were absolutely right about that as a instinct of government officials. But the most surprising and, and really disturbing fact of this last two years has been the willingness of the people both to be controlled and then to seize this as an opportunity to control others. And, you know, what the, the, the sort of 
bromides that we've been telling ourselves about Americans' native embrace of, of liberty and freedom really uh, have been discredited in, in a very considerable part, I would say, by, by our reaction to COVID. Heather, you were, as I understand it from previous conversations and just reading you since I was um, a baby, <laughs> since we were both babies, we're about the same age, reading you forever. Yurek, you, you, were, you were trained, uh, obviously, in language and law. I was trained in political philosophy and law. I still can't understand. Maybe you can help me. Maybe your, your, your studies uh, will contribute to this. I don't understand why people chose to live this way, choose to live this way. I don't get it. I don't get – I get authoritarian personality disorder. I get that from a government level. I get that from a leadership level. I don't get why the so many fellow Americans chose to follow in line with that and be – in, to use one of your other phrases, walking billboards of panic and fear. And, you know, I think you're absolutely right, Seth, to stress the choose part. Yeah. One, one thing that drives me crazy about the way the New York Times and other liberal media organs uh, phrase things is they they make it seem as if deliberately chosen policies are forced upon the policymakers as some act of nature, ah. and that and that there is simply no discretion, and so you know, COVID surge forces more lockdowns, right. or you know, right. compels people. No, all of these choices were completely voluntary. Everything that our our leaders did uh, was discretionary. They could have gone in other directions. Doing so would have been equally if not more scientifically justified none of this was was written in stone or was forced upon people uh but as far as why people chose to be fearful chose to be locked down chose to destroy vast swaths of the private sector economy chose to widen the academic skills gap between Blacks and Hispanic children on the one hand and whites and Asians chose to to cripple the social development of children. My usual instinct is to just to not go to higher levels of of explanation or sort of a a conspiracy theory to take people at their words and to say which would in this case say well they just were frightened. I mean they were they believed this honestly they were frightened. In this case, however, given that the evidence against the the grounds for fear has been so available for so long, yeah. I am forced yeah. to take a, a, a second higher level explanation. And the, the 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 ideas that I grasp for is that somehow in a world of of utter safety, it makes people feel alive and and energized to be facing. An existential threat that at least one that they believe in that I is not an existential threat. It gives meaning to their lives, and I'll I'll go back again to the issue of power. Mm-hmm. It it the the mask enforcement, uh, you know the, the 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 booster enforcement does give people power over each other, and that is something that is intoxicating. Uh, inebriating, and and we see it as well. I think the same thing with giving teenagers the pronoun power. You know, it, mm-hmm. it gives what every teenager yearns for, which is to 
to put adults under his thumb and mm-hmm. say, you know, you got my pronoun wrong. I am now going to submit you to the wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the same thing. Uh, you know, we we want higher. We actually want hierarchy, and we want others under our control. Heather, I don't know if you'd agree with me. I was prepared to say a good portion, maybe even half, of the um, what we call here team grief and death and sorrow and murder, team panic, team fear. I thought maybe half of it was political. We got to use it against Trump. We got to use it against the Republicans. But whether that's true or not, it's well, I guess. It can't be totally true because it's still going on. They got what they wanted politically or at least partisanly, and it's still taking place. So I had to have to dismiss a good chunk of that and think that there's something underlying since the 60s about trying to make America a sick or an unhealthier or a down market commodity, whether we're on the eve of destruction, whether we're a population bomb, whether it's an environmental disaster, whether it's nuclear winter, there has always been an investment that America should be seen as a sick or failed society. Maybe that's what's taken root after a generation of progressive education. Maybe, maybe. And I'm also uh, uh, mortified that I've left out the Trump piece. You know, that is absolutely true, and you're absolutely right that it can be both and. It, it was anti-Trump, and yet it has it has transcended Trump. So, But I, I think that doesn't mean it was not anti-Trump. Yeah, yeah. Now, just not all here, of it, it turns out. Yeah. Right. Now, this is where, like, I, I, I'm a little reluctant to, to reach that level of of sort of conspiracy or plan that it's part of a plan to take on America, I will just observe a fact, which is that it what this safetyism and this this voluntary fear does represent is the growing dominance of females in our culture, hmm. and and it is the repudiation of the of the male martial virtues. Hmm. I I here in 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 New York City, I am just so disheartened by seeing young, healthy males in their 20s and 30s walking around outside with double masks yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. You, don't need one, you don't need one mask outdoors. <laughs> there is no yeah, outdoor right. transmission. Yes. The idea that like we're contemplating, well, shall we fight China over Taiwan? How could we possibly wage war with a population that is this much cowed? And so the inability to balance risks and, and costs to take a rational cost-benefit analysis to policy to, to, to give in to the most irrational fear, that is, on average, something that females are more prone to than males. Not always. I'm not talking about anybody's individual daughter who may be on her way to win a, a Nobel Prize in physics or, you know, wants to uh fight fight uh you know single-handedly yep. but nevertheless psychology has long known psychiatry has long known that females are risk averse they're anti-competitive and you have females now running universities you have them running hr departments you have them running uh public health certainly and i think that's part of what's going on as well 
Well, the environmentalists created a great phrase, save the whales. Maybe you and I could start a movement called Save the Males. Heather, I, I, I know, I, I know, I know you gotta run. I know you gotta run. I'll just, we all have our stories. Just today I walked into a 7-Eleven, my favorite scene thus far this year, <laughs> four days in. A guy in a mask getting out of a car, masked outside the car, walks into the 7-Eleven and takes his mask off. I mean, just the, the, the insanity of what people are doing to themselves and communicating to the rest of the world. Uh, it's good to know sane people. It's good to know you, Heather. You're a dear, dear friend, but more importantly, such an important writer, such an important thinker. I just wanted to wish you a happy new year and say there's an accounting that's due to you. There really is. Oh, gosh. Well, I am so grateful for that, Seth, and uh, I, I think I'm going to send this podcast around as widely as I can. Oh, yes, please do. I will do the same. <laughs> you send it to 500,000 of your strongest followers, and I'll send it to 10 of mine. <laughs> I love you, Heather, if I can say that on air. Happy New Year. Let's visit a lot more often this year. Let's make that a resolution. God bless you, you, Heather. All the best. All the best. Thank you. Oh, Heather McDonald is special, isn't she? She is uh, She is a gift. You know, it might be interesting to think about. I, 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 I won't do it because I, uh, these things get inflated. But I was going to say if there's five – yeah, we could do it, I suppose. Why the heck not? There's a good way to do it. If there were five people that you considered must-reading, whenever they write, you must read what they wrote to be smart, to be improved, to be smarter, to know a little more. If there were five people, I will tell you, I'll come up with a list, five living people. I'll come up with the list, and it's not in any order, but Heather... I'm writing it down now. Heather MacDonald would be on one of those five. Uh, would be one of those five. I'd be curious as to who your additions would be. Heather MacDonald and mine. I'll take the next break to think about who my other four would be. By the way, she's she's you know multilingual in her public policy uh, analysis uh, and abilities. Uh, she is a, um, what's the word I want here? A polymath. That's the word I want. A polymath. Bill, I have a great word for you we're going to get to later. A word you've been searching for your entire life that you didn't know you were searching for. Except for one moment last year, you knew you were searching for this phrase, and I didn't know it then, so I couldn't be of help. Bookmark that. We'll come back to it. Heather, do you guys know about this story? Do you know about the story of Kiona Hawley. Does that name ring a bell? Kiona Hawley? It should. Not because it's been well publicized, but because it deserves to be. It's a name that deserves to be well known. And you would only know it, you would only know it if you lived in Baltimore or if you read Heather MacDonald, because there's been a media blackout on this. As she writes, it was an iconic moment in the coverage of the January 6, 2021 assault on the U.S. Capitol. CNN anchor Don Lemon wept at video video footage of police officer Daniel Hodges being crushed in a door by the mob. Officer Hodges survived, but he suffered from headaches for a week. He had seven days of headaches. If Don Lemon had cried over previous or subsequent attacks on officers... A search of the record does not reveal it. The rest of the media were similarly and uncharacteristically moved by the January 6th assaults. 
The New York Times and other outlets ran long reports on the emotional trauma experienced by the Capitol defenders, none of whom was lethally injured in the attacks. And what might be a first in modern media history, the lieutenant who killed the unarmed Ashley Babbitt was even given a sympathetic interview on NBC after a year and a half of media inattention to the seemingly unjustified shooting. The interracial aspect of the officer-involved killing, black officer, white victim, was not deemed newsworthy, unlike officer-involved killings where the races are reversed. Comes December 16th, 2021, last month. Police officer Keona Hawley was assassinated, sitting alone in a patrol car at 1.30 in the morning in South Baltimore. Trayvon Shaw, 32, a violent felon, awaiting trial on a gun possession charge, shot her from behind, striking Holly twice in the head, once in the leg and once in the hand. She was ambushed. She wasn't giving chase to him. She wasn't even, you know, watching him or didn't even see him coming. A week after this ambush, Holly was removed from life support and died, leaving behind four children and obviously a stricken police force. A bystander filmed the aftermath of the shooting and posted the video on Instagram. <clears throat> he can be heard urging viewers not to report the assault since the police harass members of the community. This is not a life that mattered. All lives matter, no. Cops' lives matter, no. Black lives matter? Not all of them. Kiona was black. Much of the media seemed to have taken the advice. The New York Times has not run one story on the murder, though it has published in the interim several long features on police shootings and alleged police racism. The Baltimore Sun covered the incident, but elsewhere the coverage has been non-existent. And yet the murder of police officers is on a per capita basis a far more significant problem than fatal officer shootings of civilians. And the killing of police officers by black civilians is a far more significant problem than the killing of unarmed blacks by any police officers. As of November 30, just two months ago, 67 police officers had been feloniously killed by criminals. Did you know that? Did you know that as of November, 67 police officers were killed conservatively using the 2019 national headcount of there being 698,000 police officers, 9.6 officers per 100,000 officers were killed last year. 9.6 per 100,000. As of a week ago, four unarmed black people have been slain by police officers since the start of last year. Four. Four. I could go on. I don't think I need to. But we're living in not strange times. We're not living in interesting times. We're living in times that are dangerous, created by a malfeasant media and a misfeasant Democratic Party.
Yeah, I, I, I probably overstated it in my monologue. We're not all conservatives now, but something is happening. The Providence Journal newspaper uh, out of New England, obviously, Providence, Rhode Island, Rhode Island's newspaper, headline front page today. Uh, sorry, I apologize. Headline yesterday, Monday, January 3rd, front page, top of the fold. COVID-infected staff can work at Rhode Island hospitals and nursing homes. Okay. Okay. Boy, things are moving much, <laughs> much differently, <laughs> much differently than they were, oh, I was going to say a year ago, but one could just say three months ago. Much, much differently. Was the science wrong then or was is it wrong now is, is the question I would like to ask. Why, 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 why could infected people go nowhere for 10 days and then they could go somewhere after five days and now they can just go anywhere, particularly if they work in a hospital? Is it because of business needs? Is it because of hospital needs, the demands of work? Is that the game we're playing? Is that the game we're playing here? Because Rochelle Walensky said that they changed 10 days to five and that was one of the reasons, what people would comply with and people needing to get to work. Again, if I could take you to March 2020, Heather's columns, my columns, my monologues, a few others, Dennis Prager's, a few others. Not a lot. Not a lot. Probably 10 of us. We were saying the exact same thing. You don't want to diminish the work ethic. You don't want to punish people. You don't want to quarantine the healthy. You don't want to dramatically turn kids' lives and an emotional and educational and mental health normalcy on a dime. You don't want to do these things. And they said follow the science. Follow the science. Follow the science. You're a Neanderthal. You're not taking this seriously. You're putting other people's lives at risk. Okay. Okay. Show me the science that changed the idea of 10 days of isolation to five and show me the science that now says the COVID infective can just go to work at industries we think are the most important. We think. Well, let me tell you something. People made fun of... I don't know what the phrase is. Owners of beauty parlors. I, I'm not sure what the phrase is. Women who dress up other women's hair. Are they still called beauty parlors? Blow dry bars and, and the like. People made fun of those small business owners who refused to comply with the shutdowns. Even when they went in front of a judge and said, I have hungry young stomachs to feed at home. I have hungry young stomachs to feed at home. I have staff with hungry young stomachs to feed at home. You bet I'm going to continue to work. People made fun of them for endangering the lives of others. To those people, to those business owners, to those workers, to those wage earners, their jobs were as important to their children as anyone's job at a nursing home is to you or the people working at a nursing home. 
their jobs were just as important. Their children were no less hungry and their bills were no less pressing. And now, having made men without chests and expecting of them virtue and enterprise, having removed the organ and demanding the function, we sit here and throw our hands up and say, why are people not working anymore? What happened to the work ethic in this country? What happened to it? What happened to it? We shamed you for working. What happened to it? We told you, you weren't an important member of the workforce and your job wasn't critical. What happened to it? We told you it was better not to work out of an abundance of caution. What happened to it? We stole the work ethic from the culture of this country. And now we are surprised to find millions of people not thinking work is important anymore. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Mike is in carefree. Hello, Mike. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Seth. Thank you, sir. I was listening to your to your statistics on crime, and I specialized in trauma for 42 years. One of my jobs was to give lectures on gunshots, gun training, trauma. And so what I would always go to is the FBI statistics, which are fantastic yeah. and accurate. And it could go through everything, including race, type of firearm, suicide, location, everything you would want to know about. I've spent a lot of time on that on those websites. I know of what you speak, but I do have a caveat to it. I'll, I'll let you continue. Go ahead. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a wealth of information, or what, was, yeah. And I, I teach young doctors, or I did for a long time, and... What you found was instead of going to those sites or textbooks, I have, you know, a couple thousand textbooks in my library, they go to Google and they get their information from Google and they get directed by Google. I mean, if you do police shooting, uh, you'll find 10,000 police sites on George Floyd. Right. And, and people will argue, well, they're a private company. They have a right to do that. Yep. And I and I would offer you is that does that give them the right to be racist? Well, that's a They're good a point. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, that, they, that, that's a are, really they, good point because we were not allowed the right to spread misinformation by their definition of it. I mean, I don't think it was misinformation, but if they called it misinformation, we were censored. They are the press. Yeah. Whether you want, believe it or not, they are the press. And they have, and they are a monopoly on the press. So when they limit someone, right, left, middle, or anything else, they are limiting free speech. You bet. And they, and they are now the only thing. The, I mean, most young people don't have ten books. I agree with that, Mike. And the double irony to it, and it is a double irony, is that any media outlet that is engaged in this will be the first to cite their own First Amendment protections if anyone challenges them on their information, their means and methods of communication, perhaps violations of something called the Espionage Act, you know, reporting um, classified intelligence. They will always wrap themselves in the First Amendment because they think it only applies to them. They don't think it applies to we the unwashed, we the hoi polloi. They don't. 
they, they believe they are in a class unto themselves. Now, the reason I mentioned there was an asterisk to something you said, I wanted to see if you've noticed this. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But I have spent a lot of time on those FBI uh, searches in, in, the, in those FBI documents. And I have noticed over the last year with the latest information, particularly when it comes to hate crimes, which used to be very well documented at the FBI uh, crime statistics website, they've changed it. It's not as clear as it used to be. It's a lot more difficult to navigate. And getting the answers you used to be able to get with one or two, you know, one or two uh, variants of your search are darn near impossible. I don't know if you've noticed that. I don't think I know if it's deliberate or not, but it's it's changed. Well, uh, yeah, that is true. And another example, if you want to know about terrorism, bioterrorism and nuclear terrorism, the books and literature from the government came out of a place called Fort Detrick. Yeah. And that was available online. You could get the books that would be sent to you for free, yep. and including videos and so forth. Those have sub- subsequently been censored uh. and reduced uh, and are no longer available. And I, what was interesting is I have several generations of the books, and they, they, they were rather selectively edited, which is <laughs> very sad. Yeah. And, you know, one more, I gave you a, a list of medical references that you could go to to get actual scientific data versus uh, what people want to do. Opinion, uh, yeah. Another yeah, place, scientific data versus opinion, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Another place to, to, that is surprising that you you could go to and it's free is the medical, uh, is Morbidity and Mortality Weekly from right. the CDC. Right, right. Right. And what, what I would tell you is one place in that is look in the back pages. Okay. Not the headlines, because the back pages tell you what the revised statistics are. Yep. yep. Uh, for example, we, we were told that the flu, the flu shot was 78% effective or 80% effective. And every year toward the end of the year, if you read it, those numbers are down around 28%. Yeah. And the placebo is about 40%. Okay. So... To, to get government stuff in, they, they, they do get honest about it, but you have to look for it. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I have found that a lot of these reports are great, but I have found another frustration, and I, you, you, know, you, you as a teacher maybe can help me with this frustration. When I show data to people, when I show government data to people um, who don't you know share my opinion or, for that matter, my um, – my thirst for and my belief in the data, it doesn't really move them. It doesn't really change their mind. It doesn't really get them to rethink their positions. And I don't know if you – students probably look up to you as a teacher and, 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 and treat you differently. But I don't know if you run into some of that as well. I, 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 I call it well, invincible I, ignorance, I, but I don't know if you're seeing more of that. Yes, I will give you my personal bias. A lot of extremely liberal – uh, students who consume the Kool-Aid don't really want to think about it. They want to get, they want an answer. You, 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 what I would always use is the Socratic method to try and work through a patient's problem and, and so that if you don't have the answer, you can come to it reasonably. Yeah. That you can rationally understand at least how to solve the patient's problem. Yeah. What are the right by, questions by, to by ask? Your, what do you do with this piece of information? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you approach it, not what is the answer? Right. But 
but a lot of very bright people and uh, are are really taught in a higher education system to be basically a a, a, a Google regurgitator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and they get they get most upset when you say, "Well, what if that's not right?" Well, I, my <laughs> professor said, "You know, well, well, what if you're wrong?" Yeah. And, you know, and I can give you a, yeah. a litany of yeah. things if starting from leechcraft in yeah. medicine yeah. that have been totally wrong. Yeah. And, and and many things today, including how we treated COVID, much of it was wrong. And so I I think we need to take a long hard look at the educational system and how we obtain data and reason. Yes, and, and also know, and, and also something about the students. I, I was saying an, uh, an hour or two ago that, you know, try talking to someone under 50 these days and giving them constructive criticism or what you might say uh, as a teacher in medical science, you know, try talking to them about their wrong answer. Boy, it's a lot different than it was 20 years ago, wasn't it? 20 years ago, they would thank yeah. you. Now they would try and get you fired. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Have you noticed that, too? It's sad. Yes, very much so. Mike, thank you for your service. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Stan is uh, in Phoenix, and he is uh, calling in on a phrase I just used. Hello, Stan. Hi, Seth. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, invincible ignorance. I've heard it before and forgotten it. And uh, that's, I believe it's an excellent way to describe what's happened to people after demoralization. Okay. And that's the reason uh, that the invincible ignorance Hold. Yes, um, it's 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 a challenging thing. Um, I, I suppose it has its roots in Catholic theology, but um, but it but it it has now been applied to um, such things as uh, logical fallacies, uh, where it becomes nearly impossible to have a conversation with someone who accepts zero. Zero, none, none of your data or argument. It, it, it just becomes darn near impossible, and and that's right. that. That's probably more ex, more explanatory of our log jams and uh, and, and and political divisions than anything else. You know, and I blame the are left. You? I blame the left because you know we are forced just by dint of the way the culture works and by dint of our curiosity, we are forced to read them and know what they have to say and teach. They are not are in any sense forced or curious as to what we have to think or say. They just aren't. Are you familiar with the YouTube video called They Tried to Warn Us? Probably not. It doesn't ring a bell. It's possible it's I've seen Russian, it, but the title doesn't ring a bell. A Russian uh, that defected. Yep, former now KGB. I am. Yep, that's all I needed. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's where that. That's where I got that from. I gotcha. Okay. Yep. 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 And it just that video makes sense of what's going on in our country. It does. Uh, and and and, man, there's a lot though. There's a lot because if you go back and watch anything 
from the 50s or 60s about popular culture. Look at, <coughs> watch this, <coughs> excuse me, latest thing on Amazon. Uh, what is it, Being the Ricardos, about the Lucille Ball show. You realize how much this country cared about and was concerned about communism once upon a time. And what has now changed here is something very, very big where the concern about it, the questioning of it, the doubt over it, never mind the condemnation of it, that's what is now to be condemned. We've reversed the concern, we've reversed the fear, and we've become disoriented. And that's part and parcel of this big heap of a problem going on in this country as well. Thank you, Stan. I'm Seth Liebson. Lewis Hallman in the house on deck. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.